Welcome to another episode of the Relax Just Love podcast. I am sitting with Scott Wallace, our little Aussie boy. He is a environmentalist scientist, activist, Brett work facilitator with qualification in law. Explain to me. This is definitely not my intro I wrote. This is something Scott sent me. So explain to me everything I just said there. Yeah, sure, brother. Well, uh, thank you for having me on for starters. <laughs> Very grateful. Um, looking forward to, to connecting today, sharing and, um, you know, delving into some juicy stuff. Um, so, yes, I, I have I studied environmental science um, at, a, at a university over here. Um, after I took a year off from, from high school, I got stuck into conservation and sustainability, environmentalism, and became really passionate about looking after the environment and learning about, you know, sustainability and all this stuff. So I studied environmental science, um, did my honors, like I did an extra year of study in marine ecology, because I'm super passionate about the oceans, my culture and upbringing, I spent a lot of time around the oceans. Um, at that young age, and even up until I realized that I was vegan, I was lots, you know, lots of fishing and that sort of that relationship with the oceans. So yeah, I got into environmental science, um, took a year off, spent a bit of time in uh, South Africa doing an internship, and then came back to Australia and started studying law and did a, did a law degree. Um, so I'm, I'm bringing some perspectives from the deep ecological perspective, environmental science, the legal perspective, and I'm super passionate about education as well. So I've been working for a university over on, um, it's a place called Minjeriba or North Stradbroke Island, as the whitefellas call it, um, for the University of Queensland as an educator. So I'm a science camp tutor, uh, working with uni groups, high school groups, and yeah, I also work for another, another organization teaching marine conservation. So really heavily involved in the, in the education space. Um, and more so recently in the last, last year or so, started to delve into breathwork. And now I am a breathwork facilitator. So those are some labels. Those are some words that I use to describe myself. And I'm currently going through... Even last night, I was telling you earlier about this powerful evening that I had where I feel like I'm coming out of this chrysalis. Like, I feel like there's these different layers, these different chunks of me that are, that are emerging, some that are transforming. And I'm going through this period of you've got that expansion, you've got the love, you've got the openness, and then there's the fear and there's the thoughts and the memories of the past and all this other stuff. And as that caterpillar starts to dissolve, between its you know its iterations of its of its life there's resistance there's a pullback but there's also this strong force in the opposite direction towards openness so those labels i'm reassessing at the moment but you know i use those terms to just to create a bit of relatability with people to understand you know some of my background and my qualifications but their words what is um because you're you're saying let's start with breath work breath work mm. sorry so yeah. like Wim Hof style breath work what type of breath work are we talking about here yeah so there's lots of different modalities of breath work like different mm -hmm. practitioners different streams so 
I suppose the biggest category from which the stream of breath work that I facilitate and practice is a form of holotropic breath work. And so the holotropic breath work, it's, 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 it's an intense breathing modality. So I've got my daily practice and I've also got the breath work journeys that I facilitate for people where we're breathing really deeply and intensely. Like, so for example, we have a two part breath, which is just fully in and fully out really intense, lots of high energy. And that's goes for extended periods of time. And so I've got a curated soundtrack of I'm doing energy work. I'm, you know, tuning in with, with my, with my guides, with my, you know, connection to source to, to offer any guidance and support for what these other humans need during their process. So that's a big journey. It's a two, three hour experience for people. And I've got a session tomorrow actually on the Gold Coast, which I'm, I'm looking forward to. And breathwork is something that really just helps us reconnect to, uh, to our hearts, you know, reconnect to our core values, help us um, reconnect to our truth. You know, what's present for us? What's real? What are we going through? What do we want to do in the world? Who do we want to be? And yes, on a simpler level, just being able to reduce stress and increase resilience because just taking a moment now, brother, tune in. Where, where are you breathing from? Are you breathing, you know, shallow and up in the throat and up in the chest or are you breathing deeply and fully? I'm always aware of my breathing, brother. Maybe somewhere in between, you know? So it could uh, be everything in- from the stomach. <sighs> I try to not move my chest when I breathe and only breathe from the stomach. Mm. So full breath, when we're fully oxygenating ourselves, we're breathing fully into our bellies. And then that sort of tracks into the lungs, into the chest, or it's all the lungs, but into the chest. So breath work is something that has transformed my life over the last year since I started getting the downloads and hearing about breath work. And, you know, you follow that that thought oh breath work what's this about let me do a bit of research oh here's another breath work person here's another breath work facilitator so following the puzzle pieces of life has got me into a position now where i did some uh, facilitator training with a number of organizations i've experienced different practitioners now i bring in my own my own vibe my own flow into these sessions for people so it's also something i do daily i do five ten minutes of breath work every single day to just clear the head, open up the heart, self-regulate and being able to just be the best human I possibly can by stepping out of the human. (laughs) I fully understand. I did um, Kundalini, uh, especially the dragon breath for quite a long time. I should get back to it. I used to do it every morning before meditation. But Mm -hmm. yeah, it's controlling your breath allows you to connect with mindfulness to remember that you are in the present moment every time you yeah. always i always try to be aware of my breath always yeah. whatever the circumstance it's very powerful mm-hmm. and this breath work through these through this uh, technique we explore altered states of consciousness we go mm-hmm. we alter our brain waves we go into the subconscious mind we unpack and reveal traumas and pains and the whole spectrum of human emotion because nothing's net you know it's 
you can depolarize these things. They're just emotions, whether we associate them as being positive or negative to help us conceptualize them, that's fine. But it's energy in motion. It's moving through. So yeah, there's been some really crazy experiences that I've had and other people have had with these journeys. Mm. I'm a big fan of uh, altered state of consciousness, no matter if it's through breath work, meditation, or induced by a plant. I'm a big fan. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. I've uh, let's say that some of the ceremonies I've attended <clears throat> changed the person I am, changed my life to my. They changed me to my core. So. But they take away those layers and allow your core to come through of who you are and your your simplest, most authentic Nico can come forward. These medicines take away our masks, bro. You know the the most important thing, and I think that's the the, the that's unfortunate because most people don't spend enough time doing it. Is the integration part? I've mm. met, I've known so many people that have great ceremonies that have great impact for a week or two and then everything they were showed or thought during those ceremonies kind of vanishes away because they never take the time to reflect and try to integrate the experiences because you know as much as i do those things are so powerful that you'll never i never know before a ceremony if it's going to be a good one or a bad one you That is, uh, that's part of the gamble. That's part of the journey. You don't know. Some are perceived as good. Some are perceived as bad. As you said earlier, it's all about how we see it. But there's no such thing as a bad ceremony. It's always, it might suck during the four hours, but afterwards you'll learn something. It'll be good. For sure. And the integration is so valuable, hey? Mm -hmm. And yeah. I realized last night when I was sitting in, you know, with my small ceremony here last night, there's so much life that I've, I've reflected on. There's so much that I needed to integrate and, and need to continue to integrate from the last week, from the last few months, from the last year. Like it's just coming through now. I'm like, wow. Okay. Look at how different my life is. Look at where I'm at. Look at what I'm doing. Look at who I'm not with anymore. Look at like it's big relationships, careers, passions. It's like, whoa. So integration is super valuable for sure. And, um, you know, integration is just that every, it's an everyday process of just making sense of all these different puzzle pieces and bringing this together. And with my breath work, so the, the vision, the, this vision that drives me with the work that I do is, is I, I see a kinder, less violent world with more compassion mm -hmm. where all members of the earth community, the rivers, the forests, the birds, the chickens, the bees, the humans, all of these members, all of us, we have our rights upheld. We have our rights acknowledged and respected and, our, and we just want to be, we want to just be human beings. With, we connect with other beings on this planet. So the way my breathwork feeds into this is we need shifts at a cultural level we need shifts at an individual level we need shifts at a systemic governance legal level as well we need shifts in every possible direction <clears throat> i can operate in in a space where we're doing that one-on-one -on -one work that individual healing and reflection and growth and i know that that actually radiates out to, to other people to the rest of the community so 
through this process of, of reconnection, which is what I think veganism is about. It's actually just peeling back the conditioning, the myths, the misunderstanding, going to what's in our hearts and realizing that, okay, when we reconnect in, into our hearts and our truth and the light that we are, I have deep faith in humanity. I really trust that once we reconnect and we help people in that process, that everything will flow from that. So to look after the earth community, to protect it, to defend life on earth, which I'm, I operate in a space of that individual level and the collective healing and transformation. And that for me, over the years, reconnecting to my thoughts, to my actions, my values, my beliefs is when I really started to reconnect to the veganism within me, you know, six years ago now. So there's a couple of things you said I'd, I'd like us to explore a bit more. The I agree with you what you're saying that to me, veganism is just part of my spirituality. Veganism was going to happen no matter what because of my spiritual journey. It is not the end. It is just one of the many steps that I've taken over my life, over my journey, and that will continue to take. That being said, though, it is mostly individual work. Individual. When I say individual, is not necessarily me alone, but it you change the individual and then you can change the society that that society is made of because society is simply a bunch of individual that decides to agree to whatever values and live together. It's that simple, right? You mentioned, I believe in the right of the individual. I believe that a society can be changed bottom up. So start with the individual they will change the society fabric by leading by example. Unfortunately, it is a slow process. It is something that takes a lot of time, but it is something that normally perdures. Like it's something that will last because it is not, it is a change that was done consciously, not just you're not being told by a government entity to do this because it's better for you. It's, the, it's an individual decision to do it because it's better for you, better for the rest of the planet. Mm -hmm. But you did mention that you would be looking to, because I think you're talking about um, the society, culture, and governance based on earth-centered earth -centered worldview. Yeah. Now, that being said, do you believe that the government needs to be involved, that laws needs to be put in place in order to facilitate that change of society or do you believe it's an individual work or do you believe it's a mixture of both option c brother option c, <laughs> option c. So, it's a mix yeah, of both so yeah i agree with you like there's so much potential on this individual level and us as community and to to shift and change and you know act locally and start expanding our unity and our connection and our, and our collective visions now it's not one or the other because yes you know, having studied law, I can understand some more about the processes of the transformation of laws and, and <clears throat> governance. And often the laws, you know, uh, uh, the laws will often reflect the public sentiment for a lot of things. And as the public sentiment shifts, the laws will eventually adapt or change or mold to what the public sentiment is. That doesn't always happen, though. Sometimes laws are introduced irrespective of the majority public sentiment. 
and they just rush through things, you know, overnight. And it's like, hold on, who actually wanted this? You're not addressing our concerns. You're addressing the interests of multinational corporations or the animal agriculture industry or the fossil fuel industry, whatever it is. So it's both. We need that, that political lobbying. We need the shift in laws because, you know, you were saying it, the, like, imagine if we had governments around the world that acknowledge the science and the facts that the animal agriculture industry is such an ecologically destructive industry to address the environmental footprint of, um, you know, of this industry. We can shift laws. We can encourage more plant-based diets and make these alternatives like to put money into instead of subsidizing animal agriculture, subsidize all the horticulture, all the plant-based food systems, which is what the United Nations has been saying for the last over 10 years now. We need global urgent shifts to plant-based food systems. Imagine if the governments acknowledged that and they realized, okay, we need to take action. The government governments need to support individuals in and empower individuals and their and their nation, the whole community, the whole country to act, to be informed, to be inspired, to be empowered, to make decisions based off facts, based off um, the current level of knowledge. So the government should be facilitating more. And it's not only in the area of these cultural transformations. Some countries are doing really well. Some are, are slow to keep up. So ground up, top-down approach, we need a holistic shift. And, you know, one thing that I often share with people is, we don't need to, like, you're going to have your own unique perspective, Nico, your own worldview, your own way that you see and understand and process things. And I'm going to have my own perspective and I'm going to want to contribute to change in a number of particular ways that resonate for me that I feel are important. And maybe some of those you also want to contribute to, but you're going to have your own things as well that you're going to want to focus on and put energy towards. So when we all start tuning in with ourselves and identifying the areas that we want to change, what we have the capacity to do, what our networks are like, where we live, what we have, we can actually use our unique perspective and our diversity to contribute to change in, in so many different ways. Podcasts, for example, um, public speaking. I do a lot of public speaking, uh, educational work, you know, on the ground activism, it's like a holistic approach to shifting our culture and shifting our systems that can be supported by governments, by uh, legislation and regulations and, and a shift in governance. Mm. You know, there, I like to play devil's advocate. I'm a big, big fan of, um, of trying to show both sides of the medals. Mm. I'm, personally, I'm not a big fan of having government involves, involvement in very important subjects like what you're talking about because they're let's not lie to each other they have their own agenda and they don't really care for the people itself they just want to be re-elected that's all they want they want to keep their job so they'll say whatever you want to hear so that you will vote for them a lot of at them. the same time what you're talking about is is really important work that needs to be done on the on the individual like take for example what you spoke about the um having subsidies because i know i don't know how it is in australia but in canada it's the farming industry from the meat industry from the egg industry from uh, milk industry everything is regulated the price 
the real the price that you see right now for those for those items is not real it's been if it's so low because the government takes our tax dollars and subsidize those industries absolutely just like you look at the goods that we get from china same principle they're so cheap because their government subsidizes everything it's the same way here in canada our products are not representative of the true cost the true the true monetary cost the true ecological cost like they don't represent that portion i i personally would be more in tune with removing subsidies altogether Re- mm. i i it, I like fairness. So it's either you do it for everything or you do it for nothing. I'd rather they remove subsidies for all the meat industry, the eggs, the dairy to actually show the real price so that people can start to understand that buying organic fruits and vegetables, buying, uh, living on a plant, uh, plant-based diet or a vegan diet is not more expensive than on a meat diet. On the contrary, it's probably a lot cheaper, especially if you start showing the true cost of those items. You stop lying to people. Yeah. Yeah. They're See, this is about how the government, this is how I would, the go- I would want the government to be involved. That's about it. Just mm. to say, you know what? Let's not give any tax breaks to anybody. Let's not subsidize anything. This is the true cost because I truly believe that People will change by work that we're doing right now, for example. How many people have I had contact me by DMs on Instagram just saying, oh, I'm in this situation. I don't know what to do when it comes to my diet. And I always kick them. I'm, I, I don't care that you're a vegan. I don't care if you still eat meat. It doesn't matter to me. If you have questions regarding living a plant-based diet, or just lifestyle, however you want to call it, I will always take the time to answer your questions. Yeah. I think yeah. this is what we need the most is really more compassion for all animals, including humans. Totally. This is what we're wanting on, on the earth. And I, I can relate to that approach and being open. And, and, you know, over the years of doing advocacy and activism, I've had I've heard every possible excuse and justification almost yeah. for exploiting animals. I've heard every possible, and I can go into these conversations with, with, with empathy, with understanding and, and inform and educate and challenge people on their, on these beliefs and these worldviews, but I'm, I've, I'm no longer going to be supporting and promoting people living a vegetarian diet, for example, I'm not going to be promoting or saying, yeah, it's great. You're still exploiting animals in these ways, but you've actually stopped exploiting animals in one of these hundred ways. It's like to acknowledge the reality of what's happening to, to support people in, in, in understanding what veganism is and, and the benefit it's going to have for them, for the planet, for the expansion of the human consciousness, for the animal's sake. And like, it's, I'm a lot less, um, uh, a lot less like oh that's that's great you know it's like I, I when i started cutting out animal products i didn't realize that when i went veg- vegetarian that i was still contributing immensely to animal <clears throat> suffering i didn't yeah. realize because at the time the education i had wasn't telling me that i wasn't aware mm-hmm. so it's like i go straight to the what's the information i would have liked to know and understood mm-hmm. earlier in my life and providing that to people 
not sugarcoating things, not beating around the bush, um, but just being clear and fat and 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 and, uh, and factual. And my approach is to inform and explain more so than shame and blame people. But some people need different triggers to actually motivate and take action. Some people will feel guilty as shit when you tell them that you know when you purchase eggs, you're paying for baby male chickens to be ground up alive in the egg industry. It's normal, actually, for people to feel guilty if we're contributing to something horrific. But within the advocacy space, there's different, you know, approaches and some can be a bit more hardlined and a bit less sensitive and others are just like, well, each to their own journey, you do you. And it's not about just us anymore. It's not about just us and our own journey as human beings. We have the whole earth community at stake. We have so much more... uh, impact and consequences as a result of our choices that we need to take us out of it and focus on on the whole earth community that's and we can do that we're doing that with every with all our everyday decisions you know but you still need see i will encourage anybody i don't care if you're adding three four meals a week that are vegan and that's how you start your journey i will i will encourage you Every step of the way, I was, before becoming vegan, I was vegetarian for like eight years because I lived in the belief that eggs and cheese was okay. They weren't abusing the animals the same way that the meat industry is, which I was completely wrong. Looking back, I was completely, completely wrong. I was lying to myself. But at the same time, it was still part of my journey to get, took me eight years to become vegan it is what it is and to this point i don't regret that journey it is the lot it is the steps that i took at that time that made me the person that i am today but at the same time we can't treat the people that are not on that journey yet with anything else than compassion because Mm -hmm. we can give them all the stats in the world we can show them all the videos of the way cows are treated, the way chicken, the way chicken's beak are being cut off before they, they don't have any, I was just talking about that to, to my boss at work today. That's not vegan. And he's like, "Mm, chicken. I'm like, yeah, but you do realize that their beaks are getting cut there. It takes 42 days for a chicken from the time it's born to the time it's ready to be killed. And most of those chicken don't even have solid bones anymore. They're so floppy, they're so fat, they never get the chance to develop properly. All they care is mass, is the size of the chicken after 42 days. That's all that matters to them. But my boss looks at me and he's like, he doesn't care. Like to him, the statistic doesn't matter to him. The, the, I've had the chance to speak, I would say within the past month, I probably spoke to 700 different vegans. And I'm not kidding when I say 700, it's just conversations that I've had uh, over DMs where I'm asking people uh, people question. And I would say that a good 75 to 85% of people become vegan by fear of health. It has yeah. nothing to do with the animals, has nothing to do with its spiritual journey, has nothing to do with uh, the uh, environment. It has all to do that they're worried that they're going to get sick or they're getting sick or they know somebody that got sick where they saw uh, one of the many documentaries, like what the health that will show you what meat actually meat and dairy actually does to 
your body. Mm-hmm. And that's a high percentage. I was very surprised. I honestly believe that most people change for the animals because that's what I did. I never did it for health reason. I only did it for the animals from watching Earthlings 12 years ago. I'm like, fuck that. I'm never contributing to this ever again. But that's me. But I'm realizing that people like you and I are a very, very small percentage. We're like 15 to 20% of people. So there's five times more people that will become vegan because of health. Don't you think that that's the best approach to have with day to day, like going to universities, going to high schools, having presentation, doing, um, doing not shows, but organizing talks with high school, because I believe the education system is completely screwed, but we need to have those real talks with those people. But do you not believe that it is on a health, like the health is the easier way to approach somebody and maybe impact them enough so that they will change. Mm. Uh, so I've, yeah, I've done, I've done a number of presentations. I've done like public events. I presented at universities, schools, uh, festivals, like a whole range of stuff. And I'll, I'll share with you my approach in, in answering your question. Um, with any, any behavior change, people are going to have different drivers. So depending on their background, their experience, what's you know important to them, different things are going to motivate them. So for example, me coming through uh, environmental science and wanting to learn about conservation and sustainability, I, I wasn't in my four years of studying at university, I wasn't taught just how destructive the animal agriculture industry was. I wasn't informed on this. So if environmental scientists aren't being told the reality on the fact that animal agriculture is the single most destructive industry for the environment and animals on this planet, when I found out after, I was like angry and frustrated. And I was like, geez, this needs to change. I wish I knew this earlier. And it's at that point where I decided I need to change what I'm doing because I'm not in alignment. My actions, my beliefs, who I am and who I think I am are, are all over the place. So bring that in. So I can share with people my motivator to veganism, which was through shifting my consumption to a, to a vegan diet, ma- mainly being motivated by the environment. So reducing my footprint. Now, I think one thing that's really important is to educate people on what vegan and veganism is and what it's not. So it's so much more than just a diet. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's this entire relationship that we have with ourselves, with other beings, with the rest of the earth community, how we interact with each other, how we view, how we treat other beings on this planet to create more love, more compassion, more respect. So at the end of the day, the animals have a, like veganism is about, you know, as you know, like not supporting animal exploitation. It's like, how, do, how can we live in a way as much as possible that we don't support animal exploitation? That happens to have a huge benefit on the environment, a huge impact on human health, a huge impact on the energy and the consciousness of our, of our, of our planet. So health may be a bigger driver for some people, um, but I think what I'm starting to reframe this a lot more around Understanding there's many benefits to veganism, but what is veganism at its core? 
and you can look at it from that ethical and moral standpoint. Um, so whether someone is going to veganism because they actually just care about their health and they don't care about the animals or the environment, that's great. It's, if they're making that choice, if they're making that decision to live vegan, primarily being driven by their own health, cool, because that's going to have such a positive flow and effect in all these other areas. So, But I don't think that's being vegan, though. Personally, I don't believe that that's being plant-based. Maybe okay, so I should... From a, from, a, from a diet perspective. What I meant to say, maybe I'll clarify before you continue, is simply to say that diet, no matter the diet that you're on, if you're trying to change your diet, it's one of the hardest things that people can do. People mm -hmm. will don't have the motivation, they don't have the discipline to stick to something, especially if you do it for yourself. But unfortunately, human beings were selfish. By most, most human beings are selfish is what have you done for me now? I've, what have you done for me re recently, right? Mm. So people start changing because it's better for them. Once they're there, once they're already on a diet, now showing what the animal, what the food industry actually is, the impact on the environment is showing all the, the, the bad things that are related to the animal industry it will work better because not only is the person already on a plant-based diet, you're giving them more information so they'll, that they'll stop doing it for themselves and they'll start doing it for the planet, for you, for the animals. They'll do it. When you do something for a greater cause than yourself, you tend to stick to it. So what I mean is if I throw a hook at people so they can bite on the diet version, make them feel better, make them look better, And then once they're a hook, now I start throwing stuff at them saying, have you ever seen those videos? Do you know what really yeah, happens yeah, yeah. behind closed doors? Do you know what the environment impact are? This is what I mean. Yeah. So that like, that's uh, you know, this is a, this is a difference in, in approach towards yeah. activism and advocacy and education. And I think we need to have very clear education around what veganism is and and explain the benefits and explain the impact of non-veganism on our society in terms of human health, in terms of the environment and on the animals. So whatever approach works for you to, to whatever feels best for you, you get to follow that. You get to explore that. And at the moment, like most of my focus is on the animal rights side of things and the environmental aspect of veganism and also delve into the human health. because you know, my last blood tests were freaking phenomenal. So it's, 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 it's clear that, you know, um, the science and the, the re medical research is clear that the benefits of human health of adopting a plant-based diet, uh, you know, vegan diet as one part of the vegan philosophy and the vegan approach to life is super valuable. So there's so many different approaches to advocacy and, um, yeah, we, we get to follow what feels right, but we need, like, imagine if we had veganism being taught at every high school. What is veganism? What's it, what is it not? Um, like, because that'd be fantastic. We'd see so much uh, shift in our, in our society. Um, and that's why I started talking in schools was to educate students and crack them, crack these layers of conditioning off, explain to them what speciesism is, explain to them carnism and all these cultural conditionings that make it more difficult for people to reconnect to with what's within them. Because people want to understand. People want to feel safe and secure and part of 
a tribe and part of a community and to feel accepted. And so when you're asking them to say, hey, consider shifting what you do and how you show up in the world and what you eat, it can, that can be a bit daunting for some people, but we've got to lean in. It's time to lean in. It's time to open up and confront what we didn't know, to be open to new information and to realign ourselves as individuals and as a collective community and as a culture, because let's look at you know what we're doing now. And if in five, 10 years time, we're going to look back on the stuff we're doing now and go, how the hell were we allowed to do that? Why were we showing up in the world that way? And instead of waiting five, 10 years to make a change, make it now. Um, but, you know, we're getting into now a whole bunch of, uh, you know, the, the fear and love and the growth and the contraction and the restriction. And yeah, it's another, another rabbit hole, but um, it's powerful stuff. But I think that's the, that's the issue is the restriction. You're hitting the nail right on the head on that one. It's, it's hard for me to accept putting restrictions on others just to force them in the right way, like in the right direction. I, that's why I believe so. I believe maybe we've interpreted the my core. Was that sorry? I think maybe we're referring to the word restriction in a different way. Possible, possible. Please explain. Explain to you what so, restriction means. I was, I was using it more in terms of. Um, uh, it was actually probably more resistance and contraction rather than uh, restriction. So, like, okay. when, when we're going through expansion yeah. and growth, and we're like, "Oh shit, this is what I know. This is what I don't know." And how do you navigate that that journey of growth um, rather than less so than restrictions? So yeah, that I understand. Of- I fully, fully understand what you're saying. You're talking on the individual itself versus itself. But yeah. Yeah. but that would mean that the person needs to look in the mirror and see themselves for what they truly are, which yeah. this is the biggest problem because most people do not. You know, you want to start, you want to make veganism uh, available everywhere and understood everywhere. Let's have ceremony. Let's have ayahuasca ceremonies with everybody. Let's have magic mushroom, like five grams of magic mushrooms per person ceremony. Let them remove that ego portion of themselves and see it for what it is. And th- this to me is a powerful tool. That would work, man. You, it, you can't lie to yourself when you're under those substances. When your mind is that altered, you can lie normally, but you cannot lie to yourself. You mm. can't. You're never going to win that battle never (laughs) that would be very very powerful um and we can also have the same the the same effect through conversation as well you know yeah yeah start breaking down those barriers and you can actually start putting relatability um yeah there's you know all these substances actually help us reconnect to our to our core to to source the universe god whatever word you use to describe that connection of everything else um helps us tap in and, and tune in with that and that the deep the more that i deepen my connection with myself and and the earth and the elements and all of this it's like i'm being constantly being guided by the elements and by mother earth to 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 speak to to share information to reframe things to help people reconnect and and realize like it's What's the world we want to create? At the moment, we're killing 70 billion land animals. 
and 2.7 trillion fish, mostly because we've been conditioned to think it's normal, natural, necessary, um, not because there's any necessity for us to eat animal products, at least most of the world, they don't yeah. need to be killing and eating and hunting animals. Some do, and that's a different discussion. Um, we know we're where there's so much violence, there's so much suffering on the planet and it's out of sight. It's dis We're disconnected as consumers, as part of the system. We don't see what's happening. So if we can bring those links in the chain for people to help them, this is my approach. I, I, I want to make sure that people are fully aware of the consequences of their choices. If you're eating meat, eggs, and dairy, you are responsible for animal abuse and exploitation. Mm -hmm. It's as simple as that. <clears throat> you can try to justify out of it. That's what's happening. You're either supporting animal exploitation or you're not. You're living mm -hmm. vegan. Now, that can be for some people super triggering. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. That's, that's the reality. That's what's happening. So from there, how do we empower people? How do we support people? And, and what's going to motivate them to change? And there's so many different drivers. And now I've gone off on another angle and I forgot where we were, but here we are. <laughs> Listen, it's, um, you're, you're completely right. I agree with you 100%. It's, mm. you, there's such a, uh, there's such a, um, a disconnect between the person. You know, I, I've always, I've been wondering for years, how many people would still eat meat if they had to kill the animal themselves? If Very they had to take the, 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 the pig, stuff it on a truck, transport it to the slaughterhouse, see the pig cry and scream because he knows what's going on. They, if we believe that animals are stupid, it definitely shows how stupid we are. Yep. Because those, those animals that are going to the slaughterhouse they're crying. They know where they're going. They know what's going to happen. Yeah. There's such a disconnect between the pound of flesh that you're seeing at the grocery store wrapped in a little sand wrap and mm. the actual animal themselves. But right. how many people I wonder would still eat it if here's the knife, bro, go, go. get your steak. Slice, yeah, go. slice the baby yeah. lamb's throat so you can have your lunch. You know, people wouldn't. Some people would. And it's that's it is reprogramming reconditioning people helping them understand that at our core when people are driving on the road and they see a dead animal squished on the side of the road and blood and guts everywhere most people aren't like oh yum lunch <laughs> that was our instinct was to be like oh yeah you know here's his dead animal was yum no people are like oh oh you know yeah. and it's it's reconnecting people to the reality and the truth of what our consumption habits are and who we're eating and what we're eating. And this disconnection, Nico, is so intentional because we have, I'll just, I'll, I'll give you my perspective on the matrix, right? So we've got, um, for example, we have laws in place where animals are considered property. They're considered uh, objects. You know, you can buy, you can own, commodify, sell these other beings you know, for, for monetary exchange. So there's the commodification of animals. Um, and that, you know, uh, before I go into, uh, oh, there's so much I want to unpack right now. Let me follow this train of thought. So we have the legal system where animals are property. We have animal welfare laws being the main paradigm. It's very, you know, um, there's not a lot of um, 
laws around the world that uh, have an animal rights perspective. It's mainly regulating and enabling animal exploitation to happen. Um, it's not preventing it. It's not actually stopping it. It's just saying, well, we're going to still slaughter and exploit animals and we're going to put some laws in that, you know, restrict a couple of things, but actually what's legal and what's happening to the animals is a fucking nightmare. And the worst things that people could possibly think of is all legal enabled by our governments. Now you have the animal agriculture industry and there's industries that are exploiting animals, at least in the Queensland jurisdiction where I live, industry write their own um, code of practice, right? Now, the, for example, in Queensland, we have the Animal Care and Protection Act. And this is like your top animal protection legislation. And it says, yeah, you can't be cruel to animals. You can't inflict unnecessary, unreasonable or unjustifiable harm or you know, abuse to an animal. But there's exemptions if there's a code of practice. So all these animal exploitation industries, they write their own code of practice and they can do whatever they want to the animals. So then you have the industry that are, you know, shifting the, you know, these exemptions to support what they want to do. Then we have the amount of money that's pumped in by governments to the animal farming sector to subsidize these products. We have the advertisements every single day. Here's yogurt, here's milk, here's meat. You know, you don't see ads for tofu, broccoli, apples, you know. We have the educational systems that support the you know the the food pyramids for example oh, least in Australia where they say you've got to have you know some dairy you've got to have some meat so the medical um and nutritional aspect is also corrupted by um by carnism by this you know this meat eating culture um and then we have on a family level we're taught from a young age these animals you you kill and eat. Yeah. Not that they tell kids that. They don't tell kids, hey, here's a murdered animal for dinner. No, it's like have some beef, have some lamb, all these euphemisms. So we have that disconnection and it's the first form of discrimination that we're taught is speciesism. Mm -hmm. This is food. This one's to be protected. You love and respect this animal. And that's a cultural conditioning because we're in the countries I'm from, eating dogs would consider to be by most weird and no oh my god how could you consider doing that and then in other countries they're like this is like our you know we eat this for food we need protein but they'll raise yeah. humanely so why are you complaining about us killing dogs when you're killing our sacred animal the cow for example yeah. or whatever it is so you have these massive like influences that affect our beliefs that affect our, affect our values and enable animal exploitation to continue occurring and it's big it's a big system and it's a very violent one it's a very hidden one um and part of my part of my purpose is to unpack that is to highlight the different areas and ways in which we've been conditioned to start shifting different parts of our system to to change that through my lens through my perspective because i can see all these areas that need shifting, I can see based off my own experience, what I've felt over the years, what I was taught, what I wasn't taught, I see the gaps. So it's like filling those gaps. You're the one. If you notice something needs to change, if you see there's an opportunity to contribute to change, that's your, that's the universe saying, hey, step up. This is, this is for you. 
lean into this and do what you can. Um, so I see, a, I see a vegan world. I do see a vegan world. And even if one person, anyone who's listening, who's still consuming and exploiting animals, if you choose to not eat animal products today, it doesn't necessarily exactly equate, but imagine this, you have not contributed to an animal being abused and killed that day. Now that five, 10 minute meal for you may not make much of a difference, but that's literally it's an entire being's life. So get a bit of perspective on this because that's what we need to be looking at it through. So every conversation we have, every meal, yes, that we're reducing uh, animal products. Yes, it is a step in the right direction until that's completely eliminated. You're still contributing to exploiting animals. Okay. So that's not necessarily acceptable. It's like, well, you know, I'm not going to praise people for not abusing children five days of the week, but on the weekends they go and abuse children or they're violent to their partners or they're racist or sexist. I'm not going to be like, yeah, good on you for not being racist five days a week because that's not the issue. The issue is the injustice. The issue is the, the violence that's still happening. Um, I'm sorry to cut you off, but we have like 30 seconds left. Wow. Yeah, we. I had a feeling it would go to it would go very easily. So, let's figure out the live. Let's continue that conversation yeah, on the live where we can take questions from people because I like where this is going. This is a type of conversation I can have for hours. Um, <laughs> I want to thank you first and foremost for taking the time. It was great talking to you. I I couldn't be speaking with somebody that's further away from me right now. You're completely on the other side of the planet compared to me gotta love technology for that man thanks thank you so much for doing this and we definitely have to do it again yeah thank you brother i really appreciate you having me on and there's so many things that we can unpack and explore um you know i want to share more about earth-centered culture and what this means for our expansion of humanity and so much so looking forward let's to figure it out in a couple of next in the next couple of weeks Let's figure out another time to sit down to do it. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Have a good night, man. Or have a good day. I'll have a it's, good night. It's 10 a.m. here, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Thanks again. Bro.